And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B. I know it's weird to hear my voice right out of the gate. Uh, Bill's usually the host, but Bill went to practice and I didn't, so I'm hosting. How do you feel about it, Bill? I feel great. I feel great. This is, uh, I, I don't I don't know how many episodes in a row that I've hosted, but it feels like 190. So uh, I'm glad to be on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, you're a much better host than I am. So basically going to try to get through this without embarrassing myself. Um, you're great. You'll be, you'll be great. Uh, and here's what we're going to do this episode. Bill got to watch an hour of practice. I live in Texas. I was not there. So this episode, I'm just going to be the fan who asks questions. And I'm going to try to pretend like I know exactly what a fan would think. And just act like one. And then you'll answer the questions. How's that sound? That sounds great to me. Let's do it. Okay, um, and then we'll riff. Is that the riff? And then we'll riff. Yeah. Do we want to let's let's uh let's let's get some some house cleaning out of the way first because we got a, we got a bracket winner. Okay. Yeah. So Rudy's reasonable bracket, and I was going to ask you when you set this up, Bill, but uh, we have no way of contacting the winner. So if you're Rudy, <laughs> yeah. I, I, do you know who Rudy is? I don't. You I didn't think Rudy this is. through. You know who Rudy is? Yeah. I didn't think this through. So uh, Rudy, Rudy's reasonable bracket won. He, and it was close. It was basically uh, if if Baylor would have won or Gonzaga would have won, we would have had a, a different winner. Um, but Baylor won, so Rudy wins the bracket pool. And I would assume that Rudy listens to this podcast, considering he signed up for our <laughs> NCAA tournament uh, pick'em on Yahoo. So Rudy, uh, please reach out to me, blandis at theathletic.com, 
and uh, shoot me an email, and then we'll, we'll figure everything out. We'll do something after the spring game, I think will be the plan. But uh, you won, so you get to come on the show. And he gets to Congrats. pick what we talk about, which is kind of terrifying, but also That's exciting right. at the same time. But you have to include your driver's license, social security number, and proof of like uh, address, like water bill or, or something like that when he yeah, emails and, you, right? And I think to make it right, just like give me a little bit of cash, too. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, I need your address so I can come wash your car. Uh, but thanks oh, yeah, to everybody yeah. uh, for participating. That was really fun. Um, I don't think I had a single team uh, still alive by the time the Sweet 16 started, so I stopped paying attention. But what what a tournament. Uh, what an ending. Uh, and hopefully we'll get a great podcast episode out of it. I think we will. I think we'll, we're, what we're going to find out is that you and I aren't fit to do this and that our listeners are much more equipped to do it. So we're excited to have Rudy come on the show. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to tell you before we get into this, I ate Wendy's breakfast and it's terrible. I thought it was oh, awful. I man. threw it away. I threw it away. I didn't finish oh. it. It kind of breaks my heart. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if well, I got a bad batch or what, but let's was... uh let's talk some football, but stick a pin in that. Let's come yeah. let's circle back to that. Yeah, yeah. Um okay. So I read your breakdown, but I'm just gonna rattle off questions because I'm a big buckeye and I wanna know everything that's gonna happen uh, in the coming years. So first of all, Bill, when you were in there, did the team have juice? They had juice. Like uh, I think I'm picking Ohio State to win the national title. And I thought that. So here's how here's how it broke down. We we got to go in on Friday and watch stretching special teams in two periods. It like, amounted to like 25 ish minutes. And went back on Monday thinking it was going to be the same thing. And it ended up being six periods, which was just about an hour. It was it was a, a decent chunk. They weren't pads. They were in helmets. Wasn't full contact. Um, wasn't live scrimmaging. We got to watch quite a bit more than I anticipated. But that that first day, for the moment we walked in on Friday, and I and I saw the boys out there stretching, I thought this looks like a national title team. So there were yeah, there was juice. Okay, so we'll we'll get the funny crap out of the way now. I, I, I'm genuinely curious. You got an extended hour of of seeing quarterbacks throw. Um, what was your perception of who might be leading the way? Who mm. caught your eye? Just give us the full quarterback breakdown in terms of like what you took away from it. The the biggest thing we get to watch with them was like a red zone throwing uh period so we weren't really watching them throw the ball down the field um it was mostly just like seven on seven stuff on, on a shorter area of the field so i don't want to pretend like we saw everything we need to see to get, get the full picture of how things are going but but i think the most important piece of information continues to be the fact that when we go and this includes last spring um when we were in there like very briefly at the beginning before things got shut down and you're just looking at who's lined up where, like C.J. Stroud goes first. And they all kind of get reps with the first team, and Ryan Day has gone out of his way to say that, that everyone's getting reps and they're, and they're mixing it up. And I suppose they've only been in there twice, and there's danger in, in trying to glean too much from that. But C.J. Stroud's at the front of the line. So as long as that continues to be the case, like I'm going to continue to think that C.J. Stroud's going to be the starting quarterback. But – you know, they, they all flash. Um, Kyle McCord made a really good throw on a touchdown pass to Jeremy Ruckert on like an outbreaking route where he threw it with anticipation. He kind of let it go before Ruckert came out of his break. He put it in a good spot. It was it was pretty accurate. Ruckert was also going up against a walk-on linebacker, which which probably should be mentioned too. But it was really a nice throw. Just a reminder that like Kyle McCord is the real deal. Um, C.J. Stroud had a really nice over-the-shoulder ball to Marvin Harrison Jr., who we might end up talking about later on uh, for a touchdown. Uh, Jack Miller, in, in my opinion, looked a little hesitant in what we saw. That doesn't mean it's been the case all spring. But, um, you know, if, if going off the periods that we get to watch these guys throw the ball, um, I would say that 
McCord and Stroud popped a little more throwing the ball than, than Jack Miller did. Yeah, and I guess you can only get to uh, a certain level of comfort talking about it when you're seeing, what, 15, 20-yard throws. And not that those aren't important, yeah. but you know, there's a whole other element to the game. Uh, but it is interesting to me that C.J. Stroud, like, in what element do you mean that he led the way? Was he was he the first to go in all the drills? Did it seem like yeah. he was repping with the first team the most? Probably. Like, uh, or, or I should say, like, he only repped with the first team. I think everyone gets first team reps, but I, I don't recall seeing, like, C.J. going through with, like, guys you would consider, like, the twos and the threes. Like, if C.J. was throwing the ball, he was throwing the ball with starters on the field. Um, so and and Kyle McCord and Jack Miller got that opportunity too, but it's more about yeah front of the line, who's going first through individual period. It's always C.J. Stroud, and I think people too try to like glean a little bit in the way of like oh C.J. Stroud just has this like aura about him where guys kind of gravitate toward him, and I think that might be true. And, and I guess you do hear some of that, but I don't know if I felt that watching practice because like these guys are like quarterbacks are I think like cocky by nature and I mean that in, in the in the best sense of the word like they all think they're the shit so they all carry themselves like they're the shit and and CJ Shroud certainly does but I I don't know if I felt that in any more kind of a tangible way than I did with McCord or or Miller I think they're three very confident guys who all believe they can be the starting quarterback at Ohio State but when they line up to do stuff CJ Shroud's first um when I went to Rancho Cucamonga, has it been two years now? Two years ago or last November, a year mm-hmm. and a half ago, I thought C.J. Stroud carried himself like a grown man. And I don't know what it is, but he had this confidence about him that I think he illustrated at a time before it became a thing of who's going to be the starting quarterback. And I think that the behavioral patterns, both just in the way that he spoke at that time and the fact that he – had no question whatsoever about committing to Ohio State when they already had a quarterback committed for a few years, I think kind of illustrates that. Now, again, we're just trying to put pieces of a puzzle together, and I'm not saying that that means anything other than what I'm saying, but I do see and have seen the manifestation of that uh, personality trait from the beginning of time, of, of knowing him. And, and you yeah. saw McCord in person uh, last year, too. Like, what, what is your take on him and the way that he's been carrying himself? Yeah, I, I felt a similar vibe when I, I sat down with him at his high school. Um, I've talked with him on the phone. I've actually not talked with C.J. Stroud. I don't I, I, ever. I don't think because um, the time one time he was available last winter was I think I was covering a basketball game, and I didn't get back in time to talk with him. So the only guy that I've ever had extensive conversation with in this group in this room is is Kyle McCord, and and I got similar first impressions from him when I talked with him, and and, and it doesn't matter on some level, right? I remember going to the the. Um, Fiesta Bowl in 2016 and just like being around Deshaun Watson like that guy like like a very like captivating personality that you wanted to be around and like you could feel it with him and, and I do think I think Justin Fields kind of developed that too over time even to the extent where like you sort of felt it over Zoom calls which is kind of a weird thing to say but he just had a, a way of carrying himself that that helped you understand why he was so good and so confident and so poised on the field and um, I think McCord has that now he's young and he's going to go through learning curves it might put a dent in that a little bit but if you say Stroud has it I, I believe you too because you you would know it when you see it I just haven't experienced that firsthand myself yeah and you know that's an important trait but I think the most important trait is how you throw the ball how you run how you protect the football all the things that go along with that I think that could put mm-hmm. you over the top in a close race um but it's just such an interesting dynamic for Ohio State right now because it's been a while since they've been in this position. So um, the one thing I'll say about Stroud, like, quickly, like before, again, we only—I would say—in the two two windows we got to to watch, I probably I would say I saw each quarterback throw fifteen-ish passes, so like not very much. 
but I did think you got like more more of a feel for like the array of throws that CJ Stroud can make. Um, he threw like that rainbow ball to Marvin Harrison in the back corner of the end zone. He threw more of a of a fastball, I would say, like on the back line. It was like a tad bit high. I, th- I think he was throwing for it might have been one of the walk on running backs actually, um, but he. It was a it was a throw to the back of the end zone. He had to really put something on it to get it where it needed to get to. Like and he got it there, which is a tad bit high, but it was a pretty impressive arm strength. And then he threw what I thought was a decent back shoulder ball too to Garrett Wilson, um, that got broken up and might have actually been called back on a defensive holding penalty. So um, it's not to say that that all those guys can't make all those throws. We got to see it with Stroud a little bit, just sort of the different ways he can use his arm. And he's not he doesn't have just one pitch. You know what I mean? So it was uh it was I, I don't want to say it was like overly impressive, but it was still nice to see those guys run around, make some throws, even though it wasn't a live contact kind of setting. Yeah, and I guess as you continue to progress through spring and, you know, more information is made available, the spring game, all the things that are coming up, you know, you the, you start to fill in the puzzle a little bit more as we go. But I think that you probably have more information now than you would have anticipated before spring football started here, sitting here on, what, April 6th when we're doing this? Yeah, for sure. I, I think more so on the defensive side, but but overall, I would definitely agree with that, yeah. Okay, so do you want me to just bounce around, or do you want to stick on one side of the ball? You know, I'm the host. We'll stick on uh, one side of the ball, and then we'll get to the defensive backs, because I, I, and I'll, uh, so I have something to do on this podcast. I'll read who you said was where, and then you can talk about it, okay? <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so, based on the videos that I saw from practice, one that you did, uh, one from the... Uh, uh, official Ohio State team account. It seems as if Marvin Harrison Jr. is like really good. Shockingly, uh, what is your take on what you've seen from him? And, and also Jackson Smith, the Jigba making some big plays. I mean, are the receivers just going to be absurdly good this year. Yeah, I mean, it's what we expected, and and their help too. But like Chris Olave was out for both practices um, with with Ryan Day called a non COVID illness. So there's some opportunity there, maybe for some guys to, to rep in with with the first team offense that maybe wouldn't be there otherwise although chris olave like doesn't really need spring ball um so maybe he'd be out um anyway but yeah marvin harrison kind of kind of pops when when you're out there watching he's 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 another guy i saw in high school when i went to saint joe's prep um i guess this was two years ago and met with kyle mccord i also met with marvin harrison and like marvin harrison is like a very soft-spoken shy kind of kid but he was also like he was tall and he looks exactly like his dad but he was kind of uh, thin, like surprisingly thin. Like I, I thought, like he'd be like a, a kind of a bigger, more well put together athlete. And at the time, he wasn't. But since then, he's done something because now, now he looks the part. And Ryan Day, like, kind of went out of his way to mention that at the start of spring, or maybe it was in the winter, where like he was just really impressed with the way that Marvin Harrison Jr. came into camp. And then you watch him out there running around, and and he's using that physicality, I think, to to his advantage. And and I don't want to say making a move because they're so deep at receiver. I'm hesitant to say anyone behind Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, Jamison Williams is like going to really, really pop this year just because there's so many guys there. But right now, at least among that freshman group, it feels like Marvin Harrison is a guy who's who's making a little bit of a move, and he lost his black stripe um, on what's today. We're recording this on Tuesday after they had a padded practice. Um, he and Jack Sawyer were, were the first two members of the 2021 recruiting class to lose their black stripe. So I think that matters a little bit when a guy loses it in, in, in his first spring. So I don't I don't know what he can be. I think he's a little different in that room given his size and, and kind of skill set. Um, I, don't, I don't know what that means for him in the fall, but it seems like he's getting things off on the right foot here. Um, 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Just from an outsider's point of view, and I guess we'll, we'll talk about uh, G. Scott moving to tight end, which I thought was super interesting, but does it seem to you that Jackson Smith and the Jigba has kind of separated himself from the other two receivers that he came in with and like is maybe a half step ahead or a, a step ahead of Julian Fleming right now? I, I would say so, but I would say with the caveat that, that something was up with Julian Fleming too on, on Monday. He was there, but when they were doing the – the seven on seven stuff. Fleming was kind of like off to the side, riding the. I think he was riding the bike or, or doing something, re- rehabbing some some kind of injury. But he was in the he was in the building and he was dressed, so um, that that helps. But yeah, I mean the fact that G Scott's looking to move to, to tight end now, and based off some of the stuff we saw last year with how the snap counts broke down and how the targets broke down, I think I think Jackson came into this spring a step ahead of those guys, and and is probably just building on top of that. And I think it's kind of fascinating because we know who the top two receivers are. And Jamison Williams played quite a bit last year, but I mean, if I had to pick who I think the third one would be right now, I think I'd pick Jackson Smith and Jigba, even though Jamison Williams played significantly more than he did last year. Right, right. So I think this is kind of an interesting segue then, I guess, to Scott, uh, because we, I I don't know if you did this, but I put him in my top most, uh, top 10 most interesting players of the spring when we did our list uh, a few weeks ago. Um, Tight end was a position of of question behind Ruckert. Uh, Receiver is a wealth of, of, uh, talent, how much of this move do you think is just trying to find a spot to get him on the field? Uh, does he have the body for it? Um, you know, what is your initial take of it? Because I was, I mean, when I saw him at the opening and he was like dominating people, it was like based on size and physicality, and mm-hmm. like he's just a big dude. But is it just kind of like one of these things where he just looks better at tight end, or is it just kind of like this could really help a group that needs somebody to kind of step up behind Rucker? I think it could be a win-win for both, right? They they do need somebody behind Ruckert, and and I think that G Scott and I would include his father in this too, like G Scott Senior. Like they know the deal; they they know it's all about finding the right place for you. What gets you on the field? What what gets you developed? And what gets you to to the next level? And I, I can't say that that I thought that this would be an option for him before we went out there on on last Friday and saw G Scott running around with with the tight ends. But now that we've seen it. I do think it kind of makes a little bit of sense. And the, the one thing I will say, if you, if you look at the roster, I think G. Scott's listed at 6'3", 210. 220. Two tw- is that what he's at now? 220? Yeah. Um, Ryan Day were having conversations about like the fact that he was trying to get to 215 and stay at 215. It was just really difficult for him because of the way his, his body's put together. Um, so I think it was more of a thing where, like, let's just let this go and, and see – where he ends up, I don't. I don't think he'll become like a two hundred and fifty pound tight end. But if he's six three, you know, two thirty five, um, that's more of a of a tight end body in my mind than it is a, a wide receiver body. And 
you would think if he does that, he, he wouldn't lose much of his fluidity. We know he can he can catch the ball with the receiver skill set. He's got to learn the blocking part of it, and that's going to take some time. But I think it could be good for him. Um, and, and we like you know anyone can look at the collection of talent at receiver and think to themselves, well, like there's a couple guys here who who just aren't going to work out because there's too many bodies, too much talent. Um, and I don't know. I, I would not have put G Scott in that position right now, but. Maybe he sees some writing on the wall and thinks to himself, I can carve out something nice for myself at that tight end. And people like saw that and immediately thought of Kyle Pitts, which like I get because I think that's what happens now when anyone thinks about tight ends. They're a little different. Kyle Pitts is 6'6 and runs like a 4'4. G Scott's 6'3. I don't know what he runs. They're not quite built the same way, but I think the ideas could be similar. Um, Maybe that's not worth exploring all that much because you know how much. Well, that was going to be my follow up question. My follow up question, not to interrupt you, but. Is this a switch that isn't just to find guys a spot on the field, but is this a switch that changes the way that you view Ohio State's tight end philosophy? Um, no, I mean not not until I see it, not until I see it in action. Um, and I just don't know. Like it'd be interesting if we if we really broke it down with Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and talked about what G Scott might become. Uh-huh. I, I think ultimately what what might get settled on is something more akin to just like a big slot receiver than like an actual inline blocking tight end. Um, and they're still going to want those kind of guys like Jeremy Ruckert's 250 pounds. Kate Stover is up there too. Um, the two guys they have coming in, uh, Bennett Christian and um, the other guy in the 2022 class from, uh, from North Carolina. Um, those are kind of more bigger, I think traditional guys that, that we're used to seeing Ohio State play at that position. And I just don't think G. Scott's ever going to become that. So um, Benji Gosnell, sorry, is the other kid. Um, I don't think he's ever going to become that kind of player. So if they were going to use him as a quote-unquote tight end, it would require some kind of shift in philosophy. Um, I'm curious. Like, I'm, I'm my interest is peaked. Um, I'm, I don't want to go too overboard with it because we've, we've done that in the past with the tight end position. But, but I think it's an interesting idea for him. Yeah, but this is the first time that a tight end – that this was the, this is the first time this situation has presented itself, so I wouldn't put it in the same category. Yeah, and it's it's almost like if uh, like if Jeremy Ruckert came in as a freshman and just like didn't get any bigger and was just sort of like what he was in high school. I think like that's what G Scott could be as a college tight end, if that makes sense. Just that Ruckert added on like twenty five more pounds and became a more complete kind of holistic tight end. Um, not to say that G Scott won't block; he's a big kid. I'm sure he'll be able to, but. I think not quite in the same way that we've seen like Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert and the guys like that get used in the past. But I think that Jeremy Ruckert is a dynamic playmaking tight end in the receiving game and might be like the guy who's opening the door up to exploring that position more. And if G Scott makes that transition, like I don't think it's that much different aside from the blocking and the size. If, if Ruckert's making one handed catches over the middle in big games yeah. the way he's been made, I mean, like that is something that. You know, you could get from a production standpoint from the tight end, and Rutgers capable of that himself. For sure, so, he yeah, he can do both. I I, I don't know. Um, it's like sometimes they talk about like in the NFL, like who's like your inline tight end and who's your move tight end, and and I think Rutgers could be either. Um, and I think G Scott could probably only ever be a move tight end if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, okay, fan hat back on. Ready? Did Why the hand that? motion with the hat. Yeah. Uh, so I read that Master Teague was off to the side uh, battling an undisclosed injury, um, if I'm mm-hmm. correct about that. Tell me about he the was. running backs, man. Come on, feed me. Tell me about Henderson and make it good. Well, 
yeah, I, I'm going to disappoint you. There, there, there's not much to say because, um, as as I said on Friday, like we didn't on Friday we really didn't see anything other than them like kind of running around a little bit. To be perfectly honest, and then on Monday it was all pass game. Um, so I, I I'm sure Trevion Henderson was catching passes. I don't recall seeing them. Um, and in terms of like who was like lining up where, um. Like he, you know, he's there. He's he's definitely getting run with with the guys that you would consider the starters. But um, the thing that was, I don't want to say more surprising to me, but a little more interesting to me was like Master Teague wasn't available for whatever reason. So like Mayan Williams was the first guy in the running back line, right. which I guess maybe you would assume based off last year, right? And how how it ended and how well Mayan Williams played last year. But I don't know if they got on the field. Uh, if they had a game tomorrow. I think maybe like Maya Williams will be their starting tailback. Yeah, I mean, depending on on what's going on with with the running back room right now, I'm, it's it's always seems to be a little bit banged up too. And you know, you want to see that room healthy before you can make any real judgments. But you know, that's just something that you know Master Teague has kind of had to work through his entire career. It's not one thing; it's the other. So you know, hopefully for his sake that it's a it's a minor thing and he'll be out there pushing and. You know, Henderson will get his looks, and, you know, by the time that things are, are ready to kick off in the fall, I'm sure they'll have a better handle on who it's going to be. So last thing on offense, and then we can move on to the juicy stuff. Um, offensive line, it looked like left tackle Thayer Munford, left guard Josh Fryer, center Matthew Jones, uh, right guard Paris Johnson Jr., and right tackle Nicholas petit Um mm-hmm. A, is that what you expected? Is that what we've been seeing? And, and B, uh, with – some guys coming in in the fall, uh, also with Luke Whippler, who was one of the best center prospects in the country. Like, is this what you think it's going to look like? And, and tell me a little bit more too about Josh Fryer. It's not what I think it's going to look like. Is Harry Miller's out too, um, and he's non-contact. Although I, I saw him snapping, he, he was like dressed in snapping both days, so he can do some stuff. I'm, I think he can like run around a little bit too. Um, but I like wouldn't expect to see Harry Miller on the field during the spring game. I think what like in the first team offense gets in the field on the spring game. I think that will be what we see. Um, I will say as we were walking out on Friday, they were like ushering us out and they were getting into some more team stuff. And the first team offensive line lined up, and Luke Whippler was the center, and not Matt Jones. So I think there's there's some cycling going on there between both of those guys. But if I had to pick right now, I think I'd put Matt Jones there with the caveat that, that Harry Miller um, will be part of the conversation once he gets back and healthy. Josh Fryer is is the interesting one there to me, and, and it's a name you heard pop a little bit last year um, among like that, that group of sort of unheralded offensive linemen that they signed. Josh Fryer was kind of the first one to pop. Lost his black stripe early, appeared to be in the, in the two deep. I thought maybe might play. Uh, against Michigan State when they needed to really dig into their reserves um, to just to get through that game, and, and that didn't happen. But clearly he's versatile because we saw him a tackle last year. He's he's a guard now, um, and he's a first-team guard now, so I, I think they trust him a little bit. So I, I don't think that means he's a starter in, in 2021 unless he's just playing awesome. We don't know that yet. We talked with Greg Sudrawa. Um, we're recording on Tuesday. We actually talked with Stud on Wednesday, so maybe we'll get to learn a little more about Josh Fryer there. But – I think he's making a move. I think I think he's positioning himself to to be a starter in twenty twenty two when Paris Johnson kicks kicks back outside. And then, based on what you've seen, and I know it's like been, it seems like in the early going here that there's a lot of guys out, and it's really hard to you know yeah. piecemeal together this uh, this team. You know, not just at this position, but at every position. Uh, do you think there is a spot somehow, some way, based on the way that they're rotating these guys for Jonathan Jackson to get any play in the fall? Um, 
Yeah, I think if if right now Matthew Jones and Luke Whipler are just like very much placeholding for Harry Miller and Harry Miller is the center, and then we know that Thayer and Nick Petit are going to play, and we know that Parrish Johnson is going to play, and I would I would assume Parrish Johnson is going to play at right guard if that's where he's at right now. So then it's like, who's the left guard? Is it is it Matt Jones? Is it Luke Whipler, who would just bide his time there before moving the center in the future, or is it possibly is it Josh Fryer or is Donovan Jackson? Like there's that's a lot of names for one spot, um, but I don't I don't think it's impossible. It's it's a big leap I think to make, and I, we don't know anything about what Donovan Jackson's doing right now. He's not early enrolled. He'll be here in June. I would assume he's doing everything he can to insert himself squarely in that battle for when he gets here in June. Um, it's a steep climb, but as we've said a million times before, we're, we're both very high on him, and I think we both think he might actually be the best player in this recruiting class. So if he showed up and did it, I wouldn't be shocked, um, but it'd be pretty damn impressive because we're talking about him, one, enrolling later than, than most everyone else, and two, jumping what would be probably three or four guys for that one spot at left guard. Perfect segue here, Bill. Um, now flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, but Seven Banks and Cam Brown are out right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is an opportunity to kind of get an idea of, you know, where people are, but it's not a complete picture because, um, you know, Marcus Williams, and I'm reading here too, is also off to the side. Yep. So here's who was playing at which defensive back positions, and then I'll let you, you know, take the fray. Outside corner, Tyreek Johnson, Legend Cavazos, Ryan Watson, Denzel Burke. Cover safety and slot, uh, Lathan Ransom and Cam Martinez. Uh, deep safety was uh, Josh Proctor, uh, Bryson Shaw, and Jansen Dunn. Um, I read and saw that Dunn made a few good plays. Um, but what, what, what are you seeing in, in the defensive backfield, and how much can you really learn when their presumed starting corners are both not out there right now? Yeah, that complicates it. The, the fact that the, that those three guys, Brown Banks and, and Williamson, are out right now, and and also too like that that Matt Barnes, when we talked to him last week, was like very adamant that guys are moving around. So maybe if I went out there again on Tuesday, some of these guys would be working in different spots. Like maybe like Cam Martinez would be outside, or, or Legend Cavazos would be in the slot, or something like that. But but I don't I don't know. I, I think we're we're halfway through spring ball, and and I would imagine that like guys aren't settled in spots, but I I think there's a reason they'd be there midway through spring ball. So it was kind of nice to get a vibe for for who's where. It's like that the back end of defense is, is hard because like you got to figure out the who, and then you got to figure out sort of like the 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 where or the why or the how or however you want to couch it. And um, I think the who is harder when when those guys are out, like you're saying. Although it, it is. You know, it's great development time for all those young corners who really need it and didn't get to play much last year. So it's not it's not the worst thing in the world. Although I, I do think that Cam Brown and Seven Banks have also not played so much football that you're just like, oh, whatever, it's fine. They're not practicing. I think I think it matters that they're not practicing because um, they're not particularly old players either. They haven't played a ton. I think they could use this spring. So it's not the best situation for Ohio State that they're trying to revamp the back end of their defense and, and at least two guys who I think you'd pencil in as starters right now aren't aren't available to to practice. Um, this spring, although they were, I mean, they were out there, they were running around, but I, I don't think they're doing much and, and they're all out for the spring. So it was good to see him line up. Tyree Johnson had an interception actually on, on a tip pass, but it's a guy you forget about. I think a lot or people just maybe have sort of written off a little bit. And I'm not saying you, you shouldn't do that based off what we've seen. He's, he's been in the program for four years now and hasn't really played at all, even though he's a former five-star prospect. So I, I'm not on alert for Tyree Johnson to suddenly become a, a starter and contributor in this offense, but He's got opportunity to show himself now because because Seven Banks and Cameron Brown are out there. So you look out of the on the first team defense, it's like oh Tyreek Johnson's a corner because he kind of has to be, but maybe he can do something with that. I, I don't know. Um, 
I thought it was interesting that Martinez was in the slot. He's the guy that I, like, I wasn't totally sure um, where he would end up. And I asked Matt Barnes about him, and he said basically like Cam Martinez can play everywhere, um, maybe other than like the, the Sam kind of hybrid safety position that we'll talk about in a minute. But I think you could slot him in in either spot. Um, I wouldn't say really anyone popped. Like Denzel Burke uh, like didn't make any plays, but just like he, he – like moves and runs around in, in a way that, that kind of grabs your attention a little bit, similar to the way that, that Seven Banks looked at the, at the beginning of last spring when everyone was going nuts about him. And then, like you said, Jansen Dunn, I thought, made a really good play, uh, breaking up a pass from uh, Kyle McCord to Jeremy Ruckert. So there, there's a ton of inexperience. And it's like sometimes you can look at them and think like, oh, this is intriguing. There's a lot of young athletes out here. So maybe some of these guys can pop. And then you can also look out there and be like, man, no one out there has played football. And that can be like potentially scary for a team that's trying to improve from being the 122nd worst pass defense in the country last year. Yeah, and that's true for a lot of positions uh, on this team. Or well, two really important ones. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Did I read somewhere that Teron Vincent's popping? Ryan Day was, was pumping up Teron Vincent on Monday. Said, uh... If he had to pick a guy who was like most improved, he picked around Vincent. He feels like something really clicked with him this offseason. He's he's healthy. He was one of the better performers in the winter training session with with Mickey Marotti. So um, we didn't get to see contact periods to to get a vibe for that at all. Um, but I Ryan Day has like I, I think like intentionally not pumped up much of anyone this spring, but went out of his way to do that with Teron Vincent, which is, I don't know, I, I kind of thought that was a big deal. Well, because he's probably one of the more important players for this team right now. You know, you got Haskell Garrett back, but losing Tommy Togiai, if you could, you know, access 75% of what his recruiting profile promised there, that would be a huge difference for this defense, no? It would, for sure. Um, we, we talked with Larry Johnson later this week. I'll be curious to see what Larry says about the, maybe the possibility of Teron playing nose tackle so Haskell Garrett can play three technique and or maybe they can kind of switch them back and forth similar maybe similar like the way they use like Mike Bennett and Adolphus Washington uh was it 2014 um because I don't know if you look at either one and think like either one's a a traditional nose or or one technique but um I think they can maybe trade off and and do some stuff as pass rushers too so but yeah just I mean I feel pretty good about defensive tackle. Like I think they can be solid, and I think Haskell Garrett's going to be very good. But if there's like another real difference maker in there, like my my view of 
that group and I think in turn my view of the defense changes a little bit too because interior pass rush can like really really disrupt things for an yeah. opposing offense yeah and he was supposed to be you know potentially a first round draft pick in that area so yeah he's still a five-star talent right yeah right um and his dad played in Philly his dad was a bird god that secondary was so good Troy Vincent Bobby Taylor Brian Dawkins studs sorry you didn't get it done bud now look you're... at the Eagles yeah, just a sham of an organization. They won the Cam Johnson like in the recent past, so I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's when you know all faith should be gone. Uh, tell me about the linebackers. So this was what I thought was like most interesting, and it's most interesting to me. I don't know if it's most interesting to everybody. I understand. Oh, God, here comes they, inside football talk here now. Well, right? no, no. I just like I know I understand that they're like looking for a starting quarterback, and that is probably the most important thing. But they had a good quarterback last year, and their defense sucked, and that mattered. Uh, so this. Uh, it's all about alignment for me. Like, are they sticking with what they've done in the past with the more traditional kind of four, three, or are they going to move to something where like nickel might become more of the base defense, which is not unheard of. It's probably more the norm than, than playing with three traditional linebackers at this point, both in the NFL and in college, but Ohio state has not done a whole lot of that because they had good linebackers. And I think the linebackers were in some ways the strength of the defense last year. So I get why they play them. I, I would not say the linebackers are the strength of the defense right now, and that gets further complicated by Dallas Gantt being out, and Mitchell Melton was on crutches, and Ryan Day said that's a long-term injury. So they're thin at what I would call the inside linebacker spots, the Mike and the Will. Um, but when we were out there on Monday watching them, there were really only two linebackers on the field. And maybe that's just a product of, like, that was a pass day or that was a third down day, and they were just throwing a lot, so they were they were in nickel. Um I'm going to choose to believe just based off what we've seen and kind of what we heard that there is a little bit of a shift happening with the defense where you'll have your four down linemen, you'll have your two interior inside linebackers, um, guys like Dallas Gantt, Taraja Mitchell, um, Tommy Eichenberg, Cody Simon, Mitchell Melton if he's healthy, Reed Carrico, and even Kevon Pope, who I think we would all maybe assume is just like a Sam linebacker, was with those interior guys when we were watching on Monday. And then the third kind of linebacker out there was either Craig Young or Ronnie Hickman. That I don't know if you want to call it a bullet, you want to call it a safety, a hybrid, whatever. Like I think we know the, the, the spot that we're talking about. But if that's their base, that's different from anything we've seen in the last two years. So that got me a little bit excited to see that because I, I do think they need more of that kind of body type out there to just be more of a, of a better coverage team. Um I don't know. Maybe we'll get out there for the spring game in, in two weeks and they'll just have three regular linebackers out there. But I would hope that they processed everything they learned last year and realized they have to have some different guys out there. And, and that in turn leads to Craig Young and, and Ronnie Hickman playing a bigger role in that kind of position. Well, you want to talk more about Craig Young or are we going to just end the podcast here? I'll talk all day about Craig Young. That's he is, if say. you go out there, if you go out onto Ohio State's practice field and just sort of like look there, if, and they said, look around. So kind of survey who's out there and write down like the five guys who popped to you, who just like look like they'd be monsters. That was going to be one of my questions, man. Well, I was going to say like Craig Young is near the top. He's at the top of that list for me, but I think he'd be near the top of the list for anybody who was just walking out there blindly for the first time seeing the team. So who else is on that list? Who? Uh, I mean, Zach Harrison is, I mean, I, I well, like shimmied past the defensive line. I'm a big dude. I'm, 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 just about 6'6". 
um, and X number of pounds. But uh, <laughs> I thought we were going to reveal the weight there. But <laughs> had, the, had the shimmy, had the shimmy. It's a lot of pounds. Had the shimmy past uh, the defensive line to get to a different part of the field and just like walked by Zach Harrison. And, like he is a monster, and we sort of knew that. But it's also been a while since we've been like up close and personal with these players, and you kind of forget a little bit. Um, and then you and, like in the back of your mind, you know that like he's had a really good winter and he's having a good spring so far, and it's just like okay. If that guy's about to become an All-American, like I'll, I'd buy stock in that. So he pops for sure. Um, uh, I, like, honestly, like Marvin Harrison, I think I think pops a little bit. He's he's built a little different than, than a lot of receivers. I think Ryan Watts pops as a, as a six foot three corner. Um, I'm not so sure. Maybe anyone else at linebacker does because we're kind of used to seeing those guys. Um, yeah, I think I think like Craig Young, Ryan Watts. Zach Harrison, Marvin Harrison, I think would be like maybe my top four. Um, I saw that uh, Jack Sawyer lost his stripe pretty early. Is he is he making any uh, any noise so far early on? Because you know the expectation there was that he would. Yeah, I mean he must be. Um, he, he again, we didn't get the get a great feel for like pass rush stuff, um, but he was like it seemed like he was like a starter on the punt team, which I know isn't the most sexy thing in the world, but I think if you're a starter on special teams as a freshman, that means you're, you're turning someone's head um, in some capacity. So, so he's done that. Um, he's running through, like you'll, you'll see him out there going up against, against ones when they're, when they're going through some stuff. So I think he is making a move again, no pads on. It's hard to get a feel for it. I'm really excited to watch him in the spring game. Cause I do, I do think we'll get to get a little more of a feel for what he has to his game. And, and I think he'll get some reps against Ohio state starting tackles too. What am I missing? Am I missing anything? Um, no, I, I just think the biggest thing, I, the biggest thing in my mind, and the thing that I led, led my story off with that ran on the athletic on on Monday was about a, like a, a direction for the defense and, and where we think it's going to go and how they're going to structure it and like in terms of like scheme and coverage and all that stuff, I I, I have no idea. I think it, I think it's mostly going to be a lot of the same. Maybe just the skies a little differently, but I think putting more athletes on the field or putting more versatility on the field in in like normal situations, not just in specialized situations, is the direction that the defense is going. Um, and and I thought they would have been going there like from the jump when they bought this new staff in. And we're two years into this now, and it feels like we're just kind of getting there. And if you look down the pike and you see like the Sam McCullough is coming and C.J. Hicks is coming, and, and that's where you would pencil in guys like that, I think. But it does feel like maybe we're turning the corner a little bit towards something more like that, which is not, again, they're not reinventing the wheel. I think more than anything, they're kind of catching up. Um, but I think it's exciting. It would make me feel a little better about the direction of the defense. Now, all the guys are going to be playing are going to be an experience, but, and, and I think the verdict is, is still very much out on Kerry Combs as a game planner and, and day of game coordinator. But uh, in terms of util- utilization of personnel, I think it's heading in a better direction. Yeah, if you want to read the best Ohio State beat writer on the face of planet Earth, go to www.theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get it for three ninety nine a month right now. Uh, you go through the podcast, get access to all the great writers, but also get access to Bill because you're going to get a lot of these breakdowns here coming up on the spring. Uh, so do you want to hear about my beef with the with the breakfast, or are we, yeah, are we still yeah. in football I think, mode? I think, we covered, I think we covered most of what was um, observed from practice and if we get to go again 
I don't know if we will. If we get to go again, we'll we'll circle back on some stuff. But yeah, let tell me about your breakfast breakfast experience. Um, I was on the road in the morning and I was really late to something and I was starving and it was like one of these situations where I'm trying to eat better and I've been successful in doing it. But like at this point, I was just starving and needed to eat something and I drove by a Wendy's and I just remember everybody's just hyping up this breakfast and you know I'm a big BK breakfast guy and I went through and. I ordered the croissant because that's what I always get in potatoes and an orange juice. And it took like six minutes for them to make it for some reason. I can't even, you know how you do that number where you order, you pay, and then they tell you to pull up next to the door? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I hate that more than anything because uh, it's fast food. Then it came and it was just lukewarm, very f- lack of flavor. It had the egg that wasn't like fluffy egg. It was the type of egg that you could taste the yolk. And it was very flavorless, and I thought the potatoes sucked. Like, I, I will never wow. get Wendy's breakfast again. I don't know if I just got a bad batch, but I was very disappointed because a lot of people have been hyping this thing up as to being something really good, and I didn't think it was that good. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that because I thought, I thought the potatoes were, were maybe the best part of my – and I've had it twice, um, and I thought both times it was pretty solid. One time I had the um, breakfast baconator. Which was good. It's not like a, a like a burger for breakfast. Is not like really my thing, but it was it was good. I wanted to try it. Um, and then I had the the chicken biscuit, or like honey butter chicken biscuit, or whatever it's called. I thought that was excellent. Um, and I thought like I got like a nice coffee. I thought that was good. Like it was a, it was a well balanced meal experience for me. I didn't really have any complaints about it. I don't like it wasn't the best fast food breakfast I've ever had, but I thought it was pretty solid. And I'm surprised to hear that you had a bad experience. And I'm wondering, too, because you you have a thing with Wendy's. Like, you think that their service is the worst in fast food. And I'm wondering, like, if you go into it, like, if that painted your experience at all. Like, is there is there any inherent bias in this? I mean, it was 8.30 in the morning, and there was nobody in line. So there was no reason why it should have taken as long as it did. But I was hoping it'd be good. I think Wendy's has the best tasting burger in fast food. Like, the lower chains. Not like Culver's level. But, yeah, you know, there's the, tiers. The, yeah, the, yeah the, the lower tier. Um, I think it's good. I like their. I think they might have, honestly, the best spicy chicken sandwich. I don't have beef with Wendy's. I wanted to go and I wanted to try it because it seems that, and I just like was very turned off by it. I didn't even finish it, and like I like salty potato rounds or the the McDonald's potato and those these are like seasoned wedges, which yeah. I don't think are much of a breakfast potato. It was they were fine, but I, I would rather fair. I would rather have. Burger King's hash browns or McDonald's hash brown a hundred times out of a hundred, especially with breakfast. And I just think I might have gotten a bad batch because it wasn't very it wasn't it was kind of lukewarm by the time I got it too. So I'm willing to admit that it's possible that it just wasn't the right batch. But it's like I was the only person there, so it's like, come on, you know? Yeah, no, I, I get that, and, and I, I'm also interested to hear. Like, I, I actually prefer the the quote unquote freshly cracked egg. I don't know if they actually are freshly cracked, but you know, there's a there's a difference between the fluffy egg that you would get on like a, um, like a McGriddle or the the fresh cracked egg that you would get in like an egg McMuffin kind of deal. And I I like the fresh cracked egg, which is what Wendy's does. So I appreciate that. Did you after after you were let down by the Wendy's breakfast and didn't finish it, did you take a spin through Burger King or what? No, no. I just uh, I, I ate half the sandwich and a few of the potatoes and actually threw it away because I'm like really, really trying to lose weight and I'm not in a situation where I'm going to gain weight or f- mess up my diet on subpar food that I'm not enjoying. So yeah. it took the edge off because I was starving. I threw it away and then went on to have a very healthy day. So uh, I uh, 
It's just like there's certain things, and I don't know if I'm just messed up in the head, but I always feel like I want to try something or I want I don't I want to have an experience of it. And like Wendy's breakfast is the thing that has kind of been revamped right in the last year, and I've never gone, so I just wanted to try it, and um, I was very disappointed. So I I don't know, maybe I'm just like a fast food breakfast snob, or I like what I like, but because um, the thing about it is the croissant was very intriguing to me because you know I love croissants. It's yeah, that's your thing. It was my thing. So, and I know they've got chicken biscuits and all like, I, I don't know that I would ever get like a double cheeseburger with an egg on it from Wendy's at 830 in the morning. <laughs> Not that it doesn't sound good. I wish they had it in the afternoon, to be honest. Uh, but it just like wasn't my vibe at that time. And like this, the plain egg and cheese sandwich just was not very good. I'm sorry to hear that. And I, I, it's always, it's, I always get upset, not upset, but like, I always feel bad when I hear these kind of stories because I think it's something that could be good. And maybe you just had a bad batch, but it's the kind of thing where it makes you not want to go back. Right. It's like Burger King breakfast never lets me down. So, you know, I'm waiting for somebody to top it. It just has not happened yet. I don't uh, know if I've ever had Burger King breakfast. Are you serious? I've definitely taken spun through the drive-thru with you You refuse to eat it, having never had it, while taking me through the drive-thru 1.5 million times? You've I, never I had it? I, I don't know if I refuse to eat it. I just, uh, I think the... I think that I, swinging I think me through I've, the drive-thru only to go to McDonald's a mile away is the definition of refusing to eat it. Yeah, so I think like I've gone <laughs> to McDonald's and then we've gone to Burger King for you and we did a double dip, but... uh I don't like a croissant. I don't like I don't like a croissant as a vessel for a breakfast sandwich. It's a breakfast bread. But to me it's like a sweet bread. It's almost like putting your breakfast sandwich on cake. Isn't there jelly on that on that honey biscuit that they put at Wendy's? Uh no, there's like a there's like a sauce on it. I don't know if it's jelly or not, but that's on a biscuit. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that like croissant sandwiches are the definition of amazing breakfast, so I don't know. And I don't know if they're that sweet, but, you know, everybody's got their own thing. Yeah, and I'm sorry I don't like yeah. exactly what you like. <laughs> yeah. You don't like what I make for you? <laughs> um, anyway, so Ohio State's got a few weeks of spring football in the books. Spring game's coming up nicely. Basketball season's over with. It seems like Ohio State's in the early stages of putting together a, a really good team and – Thank you for listening to us talk about Wendy's breakfast for seven minutes. I know that a lot of you probably turned it off, but if you didn't, we appreciate it. Uh, it was a shorter episode this week because I wasn't there and, you know, not much for me to, you know, scream about. Uh, stick with us four to six with A and B. We'll be back next week. We appreciate you listening.